And, and something else I hadn't thought about really or understood until I became sort of religious myself was that the notion of religion is, is a fairly modern invention, right? This is another enlightenment idea that there's a thing called religion, which you do outside of the secular space. And the secular space gives you permission to do that. And that's fine as long as it isn't too radical or fundamentalist. But it's, it's sort of an add-on, really. You can do it if you like. It's like going for a walk yeah. or painting or something. as a hobby, almost. Whereas, actually, what we're talking about here is a fundamentally radically different worldview. Yeah. But the, different, the radically different worldview is, is secular materialism, which is, a, which is a strange new thing. Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's this podcast. Rabbits jump around on the internet and reproduce and then go down rabbit holes. And sometimes they're interesting, but we're not going to talk about them that way. We're going to talk about them using theology, philosophy. I don't know. Anthropology. I don't know. And deeply immersive experiences and first things foundation. That's our work. That's what you're joining up to listen to in some ways. That's this podcast supporting First Things Foundation people. Today, Paul Kingsnorth, a writer from the UK, lives in Ireland, recently converted to orthodoxy. If you're into this idea of what the heck is a conversion? How does it happen? Paul and I talk about all kinds of things, including how do modern people graft onto something like a tradition? And then we get into all kinds of, um, well, implications regarding this grafting. Paul Kingsnorth on Watar. Let's do this, Paul. Let me start with this question on uh, our show. And it's, let me just say like this. You are about to go into this space in America that I don't know that you're aware of and you're in it in some ways, which is, hey, that guy did what we're doing. And what we are in many ways is young, there's a lot of young men, but young women who are becoming traditional mm. or orthodox. And I like to say traditional because I've got a lot of people who listen that aren't orthodox. Mm. But orthodoxy has taken a place marker. And then, of course, there's the concept of Christ and the resurrected Christ. So you're one of these cats that did this thing out there in, in Europe. And you're a great writer and people want to hear about this. At least I do. And so here's my question to start things for you. Can your transition toward this traditional Christian faith, is it for everybody or is it just a you thing? How do you deal with the question of universality? Because I think in the modern age, it's hard for people to imagine there is such a thing. What are you doing in your own life with this? You mean in terms of Christianity specifically? Yeah, like if someone says you became Orthodox in the Romanian tradition, is that for everyone? <laughs> because it's funny, isn't it? Because Christianity is interesting like this. Um, I mean, you know, there's part of me that I come from a background as a, as a political activist, really. Um, and I've cycled through a lot of stuff in my life um, in, in the usual kind of quest for truth that we're all on, right? Um, and so when I was younger, I was an environmentalist and I've written a lot about this. I've been an activist for a long time. And often you get this question in, in activism, especially in green activism. People will say, oh, well, how can everybody do this? You know, how can everybody grow vegetables? How can everybody live off the land? How can we come up with a solution to climate change that's good for everybody and somehow encompasses everyone in the world? You know, 
And it's almost like it's a it's, it's sort of a trick question because you can't, right? Because the world's got 8 billion people in it and an enormous diversity of people and cultures. And we're different enough at individual levels, even from our people mm. next door, right? So, so in one sense, you'd have to say, well, look, there isn't a universal answer. And in material terms, whenever politically we try and create a universal system, it always ends in gulags and mass death. Yeah. But then on the other hand, what is the promise of Christianity? What's the promise of Christ if it isn't universal? I mean, that's the interesting paradox to make is Christianity in one sense is completely universal and completely egalitarian. I mean, it's open to everybody, otherwise it's nothing, right? It doesn't matter where you're from, what race you are, what culture you are, man, woman, whatever. You can, you can walk towards Christ in the faith. That's the point of it. It's not, you know, it's not an ethnic faith. It's not a cultural faith. Right. It goes everywhere. It's in so many manifestations. But I suppose the form that you find it in is going to be is going to be the form that you find it in, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know what to say beyond that. I mean, if you told me five years ago that I was going to be a Christian at all, let alone a Romanian Orthodox Christian, if <laughs> been, <laughs> I said, "What are you talking about? Why would I be that? I'm not Romanian. I've no background in that country. Right? Um, why am I an Orthodox Christian rather than say an Anglican? I'm English, so why aren't I an Anglican? There's all these right. questions to answer. And I can only say that there's you know lots of sort of our intellectual answers I could give you, but it's also where I was taken, you know? Well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe these aren't intellect. The paradox is that it's the particular for you, Romanian orthodoxy, mm. but it's also the universal at the same time. And, and then what I really like about orthodoxy and actually about Christianity, but orthodoxy in particular is interesting because it, from the outside, it can look very ethnic, right? So you've got right. the Romanian orthodox, the Greek orthodox, the Russian orthodox, and it can be that. And you've got people who are kind of culturally Christian, in orthodoxy just as you have in any other tradition mm. and for them it's almost sometimes more of an expression of their cultural heritage than it right. is necessarily of wanting to live a christian life although it could be both um but although for example if i go to the liturgy in a romanian church most of it is in romanian not all of it some of it's in english here in ireland some of it's in irish actually but you know mostly it's romanian yeah, I could go to the same liturgy in a Greek church or a Russian church or a Georgian church, and I would be hearing the same liturgy yeah. in a yeah. different language, right? In a different language. And yes, you'd have some local saints in the pantheon, and you'd have particular local or national traditions, which I like. I think that's a good thing. But fundamentally, it's the same faith. Everyone's worshipping in the same way at the same time, according to their cultural tradition. And I really like that because to me, there's a, you know, particularity really matters. You know, we're living in this globalized right. world in which we're trying to abolish culture everywhere. The whole machine system is really about creating this universal consumer monster. So yeah, particularity matters, national culture matters, local culture matters, right. as long as it's not an idol. But there's the interesting thing about this to me is that it's both universal and particular, Yeah, yeah. You know, which seems really important because Christianity, like I say, it's an offer for absolutely everyone. But that doesn't mean that you abandon your, your sort of sense of culture and place. Right. And, and it's like not a project, right? It, it no, doesn't feel like the goal is to make everybody orthodox. It seems insane almost, actually. Well, I, you know, God, God makes you, I suppose, the spirit makes you what, what, you, what, you, what you need and what you're looking for. So, you know, if, if everybody, <laughs> everybody becomes orthodox, it's not my job, right? It's, it's not yours. I mean, I have, it's interesting, actually, because I have a real, another thing I, I sort of like about orthodoxy is I have a personal problem with some, some missionary work, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, some missionary work, just because of the way it's been done in the past, just the kind of heritage of Western missionaries and all of the stuff that they took over to different places, which was so much, so much tied up with kind of colonialism and cultural 
degradation of people you know it was it, was, it wasn't taking the word of christ to particular cultures it no. was going right you better become bourgeois americans and wear a suit on a Sunday and all of this and chuck your ancestors. Oh, and Western education was a yeah. major, major thrust of yeah, all that. So there's program. really appalling things been done in the name of missionary work. But then again, broadly in, in orthodoxy, the missionary work has been quite positive. Um, and you can go to a place and, you know, St. Herman of Alaska is always a great example. That's kind of great. great. Spoken on. You know, you go there and you build your monastery and then you see who comes. You know, when they come, then you show them the faith rather than you rolling over to them and saying, right, here's the truth. Well, it's um, apathetic, right? It's not, like, uh, I'm not really sure what's out there, but I know what's in here. So if you want to come see what's in here. Now, the trick is, is, you know, the Byzantines did some classic colonial religious extension. The Russians have done it. It's a it's a temptation, I think, in history for I think Putin is in some ways taking the temptation. And, yeah, and, definitely. I think yeah. So. yeah, but I agree. Done properly. So, so what happened to you that you saw the this alternative narrative of Orthodox Christianity? What, what did you bump into a Romanian or? What, no, what? not really. Um, it was well. It's it's sort of a long story. I mean, I, I as I say, I've been I've I've cycled around. I, I suppose you know I'm, I'm just a dissatisfied person with the, with the <laughs> world. You know, so I look out at my my culture, my so-called culture in Britain, where I came from, and I live, uh, and I, I just thought that this is all, all really. Um, I mean, I don't mean my kind of cultural heritage uh, as an English person, much of which is very beautiful. But I mean, you know, the, the modern consumer monster is just which is eating everything and has virtually eaten everything about my country. I look around me. And I was brought up to kind of go out into this world and, and be a good little middle-class boy and become a banker or a lawyer or something. Yes. And I just thought, you know, from the age of five, I could see this was bullshit. It wasn't a political objection. It was just, this is, this is wrong. There's something really wrong with this culture. There's something missing. There's something so broken about it, you know. What is this? And I'm listening to all these stories about how terrific Western modernity is and how technologically advanced we are and how we're, we're we're developed and everyone else is developing and all of this stuff and I just thought ah, bollocks this is this there's something missing here. Do you, do you know where where my irritation was manifest yeah. in the notion of the lawn? I, do you have lawn culture oh, yeah. in England? Oh, you, we invented lawns. We, you, I couldn't. <laughs> and then the Americans little... made them bigger. This is what happens. The British invent <laughs> something. The Americans make them ten times as big. That's that's how it works. I'll take we'll take credit for that or we'll be we'll be condemned for that because yes. the lawn idea, I was like 10 years old and just thinking, why are so many why are we spending so much time on these? Lawn? I, the lawn was the beginning of my what you call mm. unsatisfied life. Mm. I just couldn't. I didn't like it. I know what you mean in terms of rejecting. But then what happened? So, yeah. You, yeah, no, my, my dad was very into lawns. I remember him trying to find the perfect lawnmower so he could get one of those stripy lawns that you have. <laughs> yeah, because so it looked proper from the right angle. It's yeah. a class thing in England, right? Everything's always a class thing. So if you've got a stripy lawn, it looks really proper, you know, proper oh, semi class. Anyway, yeah, I agree. Lawns are good for playing on, that's it. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so there's dissatisfaction. And um, for me, it manifested as a, as a, I had this real love of nature from a very young age. And then I could see this society destroying it. And so that became a political issue for me when I became a student and I became an environmental activist. And that was the means of, uh, now that I look back, I can think, okay, there's a, there's a dissatisfaction. And, and effectively, I channel that through politics, as so many people do. And we say, look, we've got to fix this world because it's a mess, right? The values are wrong. Systems are wrong. Everything's unfair. There's loads of injustice. We're destroying the forests. We've got to fix this. So I spent a long time on that. And then 
you get to the point where you think, okay, this isn't really fixable, right? I mean, there are things you can do, there are improvements you can make, but you know, basically, we're this is a very big problem that we have locally. <laughs> right. And I can't, I'm funnily enough, I'm not powerful or important enough to be able to fix it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that if we come up with another revolutionary plan and try and unfold it, it's going to lead to tyranny again. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so then you get to the point and you, where you think that there's an underlying problem and it's, for want of a better word, it's a spiritual problem. And so I spent 10 years cycling through Zen Buddhism and sort of neo-paganism and, and studying mythology and then becoming a, a Wiccan, you know, a modern witch sure. over here in Ireland and doing all of this. And there's, there's shards of truth in all of those traditions, but there was something missing again. And then I uncomfortably sort of thought, oh, maybe it's God. Um, and then I ignored that for 10 years because I, <laughs> I didn't want to face the implications. Having grown up very materialist and I had a lot of experiences which were, were, were fundamentally, obviously Christian. I kept meeting Christians. I kept having dreams. I kept... And, and by Christians, all types, Protestants. All types, so no, no obvious, you know, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I was running a kind of writing school for people and, and people would come to me with their writing and I would help them with it. And all of a sudden I had this flood of kind of vicars and Christian writers and priests all coming at me and saying, could you help me with this book? It was very weird. First of um, all, you just said a flood of vicars. That flood we, of we we in America would like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> That's a phrase I've never used before. You're the first one to hear it on this podcast. Well done. <laughs> a flood of vicars. Flood no. of vicars. It's quite an image, actually, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. But anyway, um, it's short. The long story short is, I, I thought, okay, look, I'm becoming a Christian, and then after a few months of believing that I could do this on my own, I realized that, no, you can't do it on your own. You need a church. You need to go to yeah, the church. Okay. Then, then the question becomes, well, what's the right church? What, what is the church? There are, there are thousands of them. I mean, I'm English, so I suppose my tradition is Anglican, but I live in Ireland, which is mostly Catholic. Um, Anglicanism just seemed so broken by the world, and it still does. You know, it's the particular story in England, I don't know if you, you came across this a few years back, the, one of the great old medieval cathedrals I think it was Norwich Cathedral, the, uh, the, the, the authorities there decided in their wisdom that the way to get more people to come to this cathedral was to put a helter-skelter in it, you know, from a fairground. I have heard this story. Yeah. Please keep you going. Can this it. is you nuts. You see it on the BBC. They, put this, they got this fairground helter-skelter built in the nave of the cathedral, right? Mm. And, that, and, and they said things like, oh, you know, this will attract people in, and when, when they come in, we can teach them about Christ. And then they said, oh, you know, if you climb up to the top of the, the Helter Skelter, you can see the medieval roofs, which are very interesting for you, you know. And it was just like, and there was another one. There was another cathedral where they put a crazy golf course right down the, the transept of the cathedral and you could come in and play what? crazy golf. And yeah, exactly. What? So, and I thought to myself, would you get this in a mosque, right? No, you would never get this oh. in a mosque. Would you get, I want to go to a church where this is not going to happen. Right? Yeah. This yeah. is just bull****. And I can see that it's bull**t, and there are good people in the Church of England, right? And I have okay, right, right. I don't want to be clear about that. I'm it's not, not a question about people. No, but no. there's you know there's some very good Christians in, in the Anglican tradition, and I'm not judging anyone's Christianity, but the, the 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 kind of the authorities of that church have lost it. And I thought this is not. I don't know what this is, but it's not. It's not a faith that kind of believes in itself. Actually, no. It's, this is not a church that believes in itself. This is not a church that is giving me an alternative to the world, which is what I wanted and what right. I thought Christianity was, right? I thought Christianity is an alternative to the world, not politically in the sense that it's an activist religion or something, but it's, you know, it's so plainly, 
you can read the gospels you can see it everywhere it's so plainly like the world goes that way and we go this way right and sometimes we intersect obviously and we live in the world but well the, the way of know, god is not the way of the world i had uh, a monk a spiritual father once argue but he didn't argue but he was making the claim that in some ways the anglican church is the modern world if you look at their attack on monasticism, you know, with King Henry and that whole movement, what they're trying to do is clean out that that alternate space, that space that we're all called to, the the the, the prayer space. I'm talking about, you know, I always joke with people, the Michael Jordan prayer space. So Michael Jordan is known to everyone as the greatest basketball player. I think what our monastics are trying to do is go into that space of pure excellence. Now, can they do it? No. Yeah. But but the church has to call us in there. I, and I would just say any true faith. Islam did that to me in Africa when I was living with Muslims in Africa. There was something about the calling, right? Like, no, you no. I know your life's fine, but you have to come over here. And this prayer five times a day, I know you don't want to do it. Come over here. And when you're called to something, it's something like a, a, a deep, a protected space. And that space, I don't want to stay in because I like the world, but I like a hot bath. And But I think a tradition has to have the call. Maybe not everyone can. No, fundamentally. Can and I think that it. almost answers your question. It's all about how is this for everyone? And it's like, yeah, exactly that. It's like, you know what we're going to do here? We're going to, we are going to hold open this deep, radical religious space that was given to us right at the beginning by Christ. And we're going to do that. And you can do what you want with that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ignore it for most of your life, right? It's but if you if you want it if you choose it it's there right because at the heart of this this faith is the choice the free will that we have right. we choose to embrace god or we choose to ignore god or whatever we want to do but if there isn't an institution which is supposed to be the church of christ which says okay this is where we take this 100 percent seriously right and we are not worldly people here this is what we do we do christian faith mm. if you don't like it that's fine you can go to the pub and if you do like it we're here and mm. we're not going to let the pub into the church in order to attract you, right? Because that's what that's what the Anglicans have done. Largely, they've allowed the world to come into the church in the hope that that will bring people back. And all yeah. it's done is corrupted and broken the church. It's the oldest. It's the oldest problem. Catholicism, I think, has obviously done it to some degree since Vatican II, and there's lots of division about that. But but you know, I don't know. It's funny because I, I, I thought to myself, I should probably be a Catholic because it's the Western Church. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, here I am in Ireland, but there was just something. It's it's funny. There was something about Catholicism that, that didn't quite sit with me. But I tell you what, I did right. I, I basically said to, I, I started praying, and I said, right, I, I accept that my massive ego is going to have to be deflated here. Wow. I need to find a church, right? And I can't do this on my own. I can't be a heroic lone Christian. I need a church. So I, I prayed and I said, please find me a church, send me to a church and send me a, I, I particularly said, please send me a priest, right? I, I was looking for, I, I said, so that was a spoken word prayer. Spoken you were... prayer. And I did it quite a lot. And I said, send me a, please send me a priest, send me what, show me where I should go. Um, and I literally, I, there were months and months where I couldn't drive past the church without wanting to just go in and sit there. Wow. And it was just a call. It wasn't a rational thing where I was specifically looking for a priest to turn up, but I just, I was just desperate, really. I just kept going into churches all the wow. time. And I'd just sit in churches and I would be thinking, I wonder if a priest will just walk in and start talking to me because if he does, then I've got my answer. But it never really happened. And then I found that the first Orthodox monastery in Ireland just opened about 40 minutes from me, right? And there's hmm. the first Orthodox monastery in Ireland, I would say, for a thousand years, right, since the schism. 
Right, 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 two, right. Two Romanian nuns run this monastery, but it's not, I mean, it's a Romanian monastery, but it's, it's pan-Orthodox. Lots of people sure. go. Mm-hmm. And it's very uh, welcoming, and the liturgy is in Romanian, but also in English, a little bit of it in Irish. They do such a good job of, of just exactly holding open that space, right? It's a really mm-hmm. serious Orthodox mm-hmm. place. There's no compromise. There's no, you know, let's do a bit of orthodoxy and see if we can make it a bit Western. Mm -hmm. It's very much a really serious orthodox place, but it's also tied into the history of Ireland. It's the monastery of St. Kieran, who's one of the great old Irish saints. Of course, the vast majority of saints from this land were what we would call orthodox because they're pre-schism, right? So they're just St. Patrick for obviously St. Bridget, all of the great saints of Ireland, including St. Kieran. Um, who's the who's the, the the patron of the monastery? So mm-hmm. they've brought in orthodoxy from Romania, which is a very you know foreign place in many ways, very Eastern, very not Irish, and they've they've just slotted it right back into the early Christian tradition, which mm-hmm. it come, has come from. And so I, I, I sort of plucked up the courage to ask if I could go to a liturgy, and I did. And, and I'd, I'd never been to an Orthodox liturgy before, and it was immensely powerful. Just the experience yeah. of going to a liturgy, right? It's nothing like you would see at a Catholic mass. Or certainly for, or at any Protestant service at all, it was just—it's just a you know—it's a full immersion. And I thought, wow, what is this? <laughs> this is this is not what I thought Christianity was. Give me one second, Paul. Take a break for one second. First Things Foundation is scouring the world, and you are a part of the world for excellent sponsors, folks who want to get the word out about what they do. For a very fair price, become a sponsor of Watar. And in fact, in so doing, you'll be assisting First Things Foundation in developing small projects around the world to serve local communities. Check out our website, www.first-things.org and give us a call or write us an email if you'd like to be a sponsor. Your ad appears here and that ad helps us help others. And it's not retrofitted for you. It's the, it's the living expression of all that was, but it's, it's stayed in the world, hmm. which is nutty, right? Because if you trace it, you see all the Egyptian monks in the early 200s, Anthony and all those cats. Hmm. All that liturgy makes its way up through France and then into, into, into England. And, and basically, it's alive and well, but then it dies in the West. And so in the East, they're not really... This is what's happening in America. Look, I don't know how many millions, but it's happening. You feel people searching for this traditional moment, but they feel it new. Mm. And when I felt it new, I was the same. And it overwhelmed me, I think, like you. But then you start to realize, wait a minute, this is new to me, but this has been around. And then it gets really wild, almost mystical in that. Could this be the place that's been telling us the world about the culture of Christ for the whole time? Mm. that's that's when i got that's that's when i was all in and so this has been creeping up on me for such a long time but you know this is not orthodoxy in the west is not a strange foreign religion that's come in that we're embracing because it's trad whatever that even right is. right 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 <laughs> it's it's the ancient form of christianity and like you said it died here it broke here it broke after the schism it broke through the reformation it shattered and it splintered uh, and and but but it kept going there. It kept going in the east. Mm. And interestingly, in Orthodox countries, you know they've they've been so persecuted for so long. So many Orthodox countries were kind of destroyed and occupied by the Ottomans, by by the Turks. People don't know that. 
Yeah, and you know, massive occupation by Islam for like a thousand years or five hundred years, anyway. And then you have obviously what happened in Russia, the mass destruction of the church by communism. So it's a kind of a church that knows how to be strong under persecution as well, well and it's managed yeah. to survive all of that. I mean, the systematic destruction of the religion by by say Stalin and Lenin, deliberate attempt to just you know slaughter thousands of priests, dynamite the cathedral in Moscow, yeah. film it, show it to everybody at the party conferences. <laughs> You know, which, which by the way, filming it's incredible, right? Like we we did that, and also we'd like you to see us do that. Yeah, That's, yeah. Here we are no. burning these thousand year old icons because it's all superstition, you know. But it's come back now. You know, as you say, there's plenty of problems with the kind of politicization of the church in Russia mm. today. But I'm talking about the faith of the people, you know, at, the, mm. at, the, at that level. Uh, and it's come. Orthodoxy has come to the West now. Seems to me at a time when we needed it. So I went to this liturgy, and as you say. It's very, very old, but it's not, it's not, there's nothing being put on for you. It's not right. like, here's a show of some old tradition. It's not like going to a folk festival, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, right. look at these old things. Right. Well, look, at, look at this old tradition that you could bring back. It's like, no, this is alive, right? right. This is a living tradition. Right. And that was at the monastery. And I, I, then, then the, the priest, I met the priest after the liturgy. Uh, he started to talk to me, gave me a few things to do. Uh, we talked. And interestingly, one of the first things he said was, you know, don't rush. He didn't try and he didn't try and bring me into the church. He's going, okay, so you're a Western guy. You're interested in, in Orthodox. You know, take your time. You know, take mm -hmm. your time. It's you know, it's a big thing. It's a serious thing. Here are some prostrations you can do. Here are yeah. some prayers you can say. Keep coming to the liturgy. Keep I, reading. You know? The ancients would they would they would wait three years. I don't know yeah. how long did he make you wait? A, couple, a year. Well, I it think. wasn't. He didn't have a he didn't have a time scale, but he you know he was keeping an eye on me and he was, yeah. he was trying to calm me down because I'm very excitable. You know, I wanted to go in there. And <laughs> I wanted to become a saint within a week, right? And he was going. Right. He was like, right. no, it doesn't work like that, mate. <laughs> it does not work. Funnily enough, you're you will have to calm down at this point because this is not a process. I like that. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Yeah. Calm, down. calm down. Calm down. I always need to calm down. But you know, it's not a process you can control. So. Mm. So I was kind of hooked and I kept going and the depth of it was there and I'd been sent a priest. And in the end, I thought to myself, this is it's, it's plainly where I am supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to be here. And um, there's so, something to it that is really serious. I mean, I've said this to a few other people that on this kind of spiritual search I was on, all of the other paths I found, you know, Buddhism and Wicca and sort of various sort of pagany sort of things, I went looking for them because I thought they'd meet a need I had. Right. Whereas with Christianity, it came for me. I, mm -hmm. I would never have gone looking for Romanian Orthodox Christianity or Christianity at all because I thought that it was a you know, irrelevant old thing that had nothing to do with truth. Wow. And all the propaganda that were given in the West about the failures of the faith, some of which is based on truth, but a lot of it isn't. Yeah, so it came for me. So that was that was the story, really. But You, you know what I like is yeah. sometimes poetry is... So that's a poetic idea. I found in orthodoxy, I was taught that sometimes poetry is the evidence. Mm. So in the West, it's always material atomistic evidence that it's supposed to convince me. But like Dostoevsky is always talking about, sometimes the evidence is in the beauty. If you stop, that's enough evidence that maybe that's the place you're supposed to go. I don't know. We believe that in the modern world so much anymore. No, we um, don't. And that's, that's the thing. This is what, you know, I was reading Rene Guénon recently, and he talks mm. endlessly about this thing he calls the Western deviation. He likes this phrase, or sometimes he calls it the modern deviation. And he says, look, the West is just is a part of the world which has deviated from its connection to the sacred center, to the yeah, truth. That's it. Um, and it's gone down pure materialism instead into what he called the reign of quantity. 
And what that's done is it's allowed us in the West to have this incredible material abundance and these technological achievements, which are unparalleled, at the cost of basically selling, <laughs> selling our souls, right? Where yeah. Spengler called us a Faustian culture, and that's what we are. Um, By the way, you got me. I went and, I went and bought that book, Spengler's book. Yeah, the decline of the world. Well, I I dug down on that whole notion of I, I don't know if we want to get into it here, but the, the whole Faustian notion and the 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 the, 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 the era of the Magi, and I tried to use it in one of my uh, pod courses, and it was quite a hit, but rejected. Right. But the Western people on the course were like, "This guy's negative." I'm like, "Well, he or just telling you something." <laughs> but at the heart of at the heart of you, know, this is the, I, I think also this kind of got got to the heart of my problem with my culture as I was growing up, which is I'm very very conflicted about this whole notion of the West, right? Because mm. I come from the West, it's right. my culture, and I don't I don't want to be. You know, we're going through a cultural moment at the moment where there's, where there's a huge political assault on all things Western, um, and I you know that offends me. That feels like an attack on my ancestors, and so I, there's part of me that wants to be reactionary in that sense and just right. go you know screw you i'm defending the west but then right. i look at it and i think well you know actually there's something really flawed about this thing we call the west at the heart of it you know it's there's something wrong with it and it is it does feel like a deviation that we've gone wrong at some point and it's we have walked away from this sacred sense that we had this sense of what walked away from god essentially i i feel like it's a cask so the my daughters are in their 20s woke people you guys have woke people in ireland oh yes we do have them yeah right so that i always have a sympathy for the woke they, they are waking up to something but i feel like it's a cascading awakening i i went through that too but if you keep going you start to realize that you're actually awakening to a deeper problem which is this mm. enlightenment problem on some level yeah. and then that is the west that is the heritage i don't like to attack either because I mean, I'm that guy. I like to read a good thesis and try to make a good argument. I like to do all those Western things with my mind. But, mm. man, in liturgy, you you have to put them down. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's the, the other thing that's so attractive about orthodoxy to me is that the willingness of, of a priest, if you ask him a question, to say that's a mystery, you know, it's, which is such a refreshing thing to hear. <laughs> well, you know, that's a mystery. We don't really know that. We're not sure. And it's it's very interesting because it seems to me that that you know you can look at other faiths. Um, I mean, my wife comes from an Indian family, uh, so she's a Sikh, and Sikhism is a very interesting faith. Um, and at the heart of Sikhism, and I believe this is true of Islam as well, but I don't know much about Islam, is you know the, the basic reality that God is a mystery. Right? We can't yeah. actually, yeah. we can never know God. We can right. never know God, and that's right at the heart of the Orthodox faith as well. Right? You yeah. can know Christ, although even he's pretty mysterious. Um, but you can have that connection, but you can't. You can't know God. You can't look on God's face without no. going blind, right? It's, it's right. a great, great metaphor. You look on God, you're dead, basically. But, wow. Because you can't, you, you can't possibly understand that thing. But you don't, you don't want, I mean, this is the other okay, thing. Some things we, aren't meant for you. This is another, yeah, we're getting uh, ready for the hierarchy. Not in the West. You see, this <clears> is the Western deviation. We think everything is meant for us. We are, yeah. we are pure will. We are pure will. And so we say now, well, why isn't it meant for us? Why can't we know this? Why can't we split the atom? Why can't we uh, put, why can't we plant wombs in men? Why can't we, why can't we live forever? Why can't we upload our minds? There's no reason not to do this because once you reject any sense of sacredness or anything transcendent or any God, then you can do what the hell you want as long as you've got the tech. It's nuts. 
And it's well, pure will. It's triumph it, of the will all the way down. And all you the can way. See where it's going. It's just eating the apple every day, right? Yes. And this- yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Sarah from Rose, who I don't know. Do you know Sarah from Rose? Yeah. Yeah. I love Sarah from Rose. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he talks yeah. about just mistaking the creature for the creator. And that mm-hmm. at the core, I think I was raised by good parents. Again, I love my parents, mm-hmm. but I was raised in a culture that kept trying to make me the creator. Like, you can do whatever you want. I was like, really, though, can I? Yeah, <laughs> I was... this, is, this is it, right? So, I mean, I, I, I'm haunted at the moment by the uncomfortable reality that the offer we get in the Garden of Eden, right, from the snake, mm. from the serpent, from the adversary, is, you know, you don't need to follow the will of God, which is also the pattern of creation. You can mm. go out and create your own. Don't wait for the wisdom. Just take the power. Um, and that's what we do. That's yeah. the West, right? This is yeah. our culture now. Yeah. This is like we don't we don't believe in any of that superstitious rubbish, obviously. Yeah. But why can't we just remake reality at the cellular level the way we want it to be? And if we want to, we'll set that up as a kind of solution to the world's problems, right? The only way to stop the environment from collapsing is to, I don't know, build make meat in laboratories and, and rewild the, the landscape. That's happening, as yes, you know. It's happening already. And why can't why can't men have babies because of quality and all of this kind of stuff. And there's always a reason. You can always justify this self stuff to you. But it's like we are we are eating that apple every day. And that's our story now. And we're saying, yeah, this is good. This is what we want. But Paul, go back, go back for a second. So you've written about um the sort of the machine and the harvesting. And boy, man, the images are brilliant. And I, you know, we work in West Africa and East Africa and the Georgian Republic and Guatemala. We see the machine you describe in your writing, if you guys haven't read it, go read it on his Substack. The machine is so real. It's almost just palpable when you're out there in these places. And it's tearing stuff up so that it not necessarily replants, we can take, right? But here's the thing. And this is my real question for you. I think this is why I wanted you to come on. So here's little Paul Kings North in Ireland or John Hears or whoever these people are out here. We're trying to sort of graft onto something that didn't get torn up, right, in some way. But the grafting itself, like becoming orthodox or, you know, my brother doesn't want to hear me say this, but becoming something old world, Muslim or whatever, becoming something other than orthodox, but something where you're trying to grab back on. But let's do orthodoxy, me and you, to graft how do does one graft because you're a writer and if you like this is going to come out paul people are going to see this and a, a lot of your readers are going to want to dismiss you now as some orthodox guy you see what do you do with that like is it just a middle finger do you just keep going and then you don't care or well for me that's already happened really um because i i wrote an essay a year or two ago first things about becoming a christian um, yeah, that's right that's right yeah. and so i had i had a I had some pushback from readers and I had people saying I was, they were never going to read me again and all this stuff. So I'm sure I had a drop off of readers uh, and people who take me seriously. And then there were other people who came on board, especially a lot of Christians who, who now like reading me. So I expect I've probably replaced my audience with a new one or some of them. And then there are other people who've actually, interestingly, the most interesting response I've had from people who are much more perceptive than I am has been people who said, well, I've been reading you for years and it's been obvious you were on this path. Oh, you know, okay. You were a spiritual seeker. I'm not very surprised to see you because when I when I 
It's interesting. Somebody said to me, they said, you know, all the all the authors you've been referencing for years, from even Illich to Wendell Berry to various others, they all been Christian. Didn't you notice that? And I said, no, I didn't really, because I'm very slow. Um, but it's you know, it's true. So there have been some people, as I say, more perceptive than me, who said, I'm not surprised to see this progression. So, but you know, I don't know if if you think it's true, you have to do it, don't you? I mean, what what else can you I do? Think you that, I think so. Yeah. And also, with our, our Christianity is. Maybe this is something else in the West because Christianity until a few decades ago was, or certainly until half a century ago, was was the kind of establishment thing that you did if you wanted to be part of society. We'd sort of forgotten what it's like to be persecuted and to be outsiders and to right. be mocked. But that is what Christianity is. That's what happened to Christ and that's what happened to the church for centuries. And it was never supposed to be a comfortable establishment faith really. All right. Can I even go further in the weeds? Because I have this issue sometimes. So now you get invited to, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up. The Cool Writers of Ireland Association Conference, and you're a speaker. How do you parse what, what, let's just go for it. The thing driving you, which is something like the Orthodox faith, it's, it's a part of your writing now. How do you parse when to say the language or use the language and when not to? I find this yeah. fascinating. This is really interesting. Um, I was actually talking to another writer about this yesterday, a young, young American writer I met for the first time who's living in Ireland, who's, who's a novelist, um, and he's become orthodox even more recently than me, and so he wanted to ask me this question, you know, and I, I don't really know the answer. I mean, I think, I think that um, since I've become a Christian, I've really sort of... Um, I've sort of retreated from that literary world a bit and it's I see. retreated from me a bit because I don't think it's not that you can't be a Christian writer. I'm sure you can, but I think that this, the, the culture now is so not just anti-Christian, although it is quite anti-Christian, but it's more sort of so aggressively secular and materialist mm. and individualist and technological that it's very difficult even to speak the same language. Yeah. I think that is the problem. It's like you're saying there, how do you even, how do you cross this gulf? And I don't really know. I mean, uh, the Substack stuff I'm doing at the moment is, I started that a year or two ago, a year, 18 months ago. And the process of writing it has seen me become, well, more Christian as I've gone on down the path, but also just, I, I've just, I think I've, I've got deeper into this vein of understanding what's wrong and the kind of the spiritual crisis. And so I am trying to sort of have a foot on both stools in that in that project you know, trying to speak to a lot of people which is it's my natural instinct it's what i do you know i, I like yeah. to try and speak to as broad a gang of people as possible i don't like being sectarian but it does get harder and harder actually i don't know if you find that but it gets harder and harder to speak outside yeah the, well, kind of the place even, even the construct of the term the way we construct the term sectarian so mm. So I think we spoke about this last time. I can't remember. It was a while ago when we spoke. But uh, the word religion, the, the Latin really coming out there is that it, it's just that which binds and holds a body together. Or if I like the idea, it holds the worldview. So it's l the ligaments of the of the worldview that you hold. And so there, we all have this. So to be a sectarian is something like you don't have my same worldview. But... Mm. Why would I? This is the all the weird part about free speech in, in the West is why would I ever hold your exact same worldview? The whole point is to allow 
me to tell you about it and then you tell me about it and the whole point is is of the premise should be we don't i am a sectarian by nature and so are you and so where do we overlap where's the venn diagram so i look at it when i we do this dinner paul and it's it's the georgian supra which is a type of dinner that comes out of the georgian liturgy they've been orthodox since the 300s okay maybe the third oldest christian country in the world and they've developed a very they did it during soviet period it's a type of toasting dinner that takes you through the themes of life and you go you go through this with a toastmaster a tamada and so when you're in Georgia, the theme, you know, the first toast is often to the Theotokos, to the mother of God. And then there's always a toast to your the ancestors. They may be resurrected. There's all these overtures. Everything's about the liturgy and everyone knows it in Georgia. But we do it as a community dinner here in South Carolina. So you and your wife could come and you would join 18 others and we would start the process. And so I ask you that question because as Tamada I'm trying to thread this weird needle here where I've got 18 people at the table with all these various lig- religions hmm. these, that hold their world together. What I'm trying to do is, is go right down the Venn diagram middle where all of life overlaps. And a good Tamada leads you right down the middle where we all understand one another and we get rid of the parts that don't. Now, we get it wrong all the time, but... I guess it's something like seeing the table and seeing people and asking what they need, not what I need to tell them. Maybe something like that. Maybe that's how we approach it. That's what I'm practicing. But how can I know, you know, what everybody wants to hear? It's it's brutal. Well, yeah, well, you can never tell anyone what they want to hear, can you? That's always a bad plan. Um, <laughs> well, it's a terrible yeah, plan. But there's something universal in our relationships. That what you're talking about, it seems to me, is trying to maybe not find common ground exactly in the sense that you'd have to agree with people, but just uh, finding the, the thread, finding the thread that ties people together because there's always something. I mean, it's interesting to me, you know, I think that um, C.S. Lewis said something once because he said something about everything, so you can always quote him. Um, yeah. <laughs> you always quote C.S. Lewis if you haven't got an idea about what to say next. Um, but C.S. Lewis... You know, he talked once about how difficult it was to try and convert people to Christianity or just tell them about it in, in the modern world. Of course, he's writing like 50, 60 years ago, um, or more, actually. Um, and he said, look, you know, in, in the ancient world, say you were a Christian in ancient Rome and you wanted to try and teach people about Christ and convince them they should be Christian instead of worshipping their pagan gods. What you're trying to do is convince them that their conception of God is wrong and yours is right. So you can have a conversation there and you might disagree, you might argue. What you're trying to do in the modern world is try and convince people that there's the, the, the notion of God, who believe that the notion of God is absurd, who believe that the whole of the spiritual realm, the transcendent realm, anything beyond the material is absurd, to become Christian or just to take the notion seriously. So you've got a whole different mountain to climb yeah. there. Yeah. Because you know, for, it seems to me that for most of history and still probably in most of the world, people have a sense that the material realm is just part of the picture. Yeah. Whereas in, in the modern West, we say, no, this is all there is, right? So we're immediately in a position, anyone who comes from any so, so-called traditional sort of background spiritually, whether they're Muslim or Christian or Sikh or anything else, Jewish, you're already in a position of immediately being relegated to a kind of slightly weird thing that you do at the weekend, yeah. right? And, and something else I hadn't thought about really or understood until I became sort of religious myself was that the notion of religion is, is a 
fairly modern invention, right? This is another Enlightenment idea that there's a thing called religion, which you do outside of the secular space. And the secular space gives you permission to do that. And that's fine as long as it isn't too radical or fundamentalist. But it's it's sort of an add-on, really. You can do it if you like. It's like going for a walk yeah. or painting or something. It's a hobby almost. Whereas actually, what we're talking about here is a fundamentally radically different worldview. Yeah. But the different, the radically different worldview is is secular materialism, which is a which is a strange new thing. Um, and it's very, I find it, you know, I would find it much harder, to, uh, much easier to sit down at the table and have a chat with a traditionalist Muslim or a Jew or someone yeah. with a very different religion to me, or or or, or you know someone with an indigenous cosmology, some of Native American culture than I would with a kind of secular modern liberal who thought Richard Dawkins was great. You know, it's, it's, it's the world, the gulf is so big. Well, you say it really well is the presupposition is the above or the spiritual, the invisible isn't even there. And so, wow, I got to build the whole, I have to build the whole picture. Mm. And it's not something you can convince anybody about. Yeah, that's right. Rationalist framework because you can't do it because it's not, there's no proving it. Right. I mean, (laughs) This is great like, point. I'm not going to even attempt to prove it's anything. Great point. It. It's that, it's it. the point. Yeah, that's the point. Is and this is again. the thing when you get you get the sort of Richard Dawkins types coming at you with 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 kind of reason and science and saying, well, how do you prove this stuff? Well, you just have to be honest and say, well, I can't. I mean, I could sit here and Thank try and you. give you a ton of of theological cleverness about how God has to exist or whatever, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't prove anything. No, um, even. Even Aquinas at the very end, didn't he say it's all just straw? Just I, I, Yes, that's an amazing thing. He had that great vision, didn't he? And he said all of his work has been like straw. That's terrifying, though. Well, it's terrifying, <laughs> but it's also kind of wonderful because it seems to me when I at least see that story, apparently he was serving mass and he had this great vision and he never told anyone what it was. But he said everything I've written has been like straw compared to what I've just seen. But that book. anything else. So but his work became his work became prolific. I mean, people used the work before the straw. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. but what if the straw completely negated the work? You know, and it's like um, that's it's, wow. it reminds me of the story of the Buddha when the Buddha became enlightened. The Buddha, so the Buddha the story of the Buddha is that he's a prince and he's he lives in great luxury and his father shields him from the world. But then he gets out and he sees death and misery and poverty and decides life is meaningless. Wants to know the truth explores every tradition, basically gets to the point where he says, I'm going to sit under this tree and I'm not getting up until yeah. I've seen the truth and I don't care if I die in the, in the quest. And then he becomes enlightened. And the story that, um, the story that, that you hear then is that he, he had this great vision of reality, a bit like Aquinas perhaps. And he realized he couldn't explain it to anybody because it was so profound. And the gods are looking down, right? The gods are looking down at the Buddha and, and they say he has to teach people this because if he doesn't the human race is lost you know, mm. we, we need him we've got this human he's finally become enlightened and the gods come down to him i can't remember which god it is and, and they plead with him to teach humanity and they say to him if you don't tell people what you've seen and how to get there themselves then the whole of the human race is screwed yeah so eventually he, he agrees to do it and he sits down and he tries to work out the method and he does that through what's now called the dharma but it's the similar thing you know he, he realizes that that even everything he teaches is just tiny little notion towards what he's actually experienced. So, and, and that's, you know, so then they are going to experience that, but the kind of the profundity of what's, what's out there, you hear this from the saints all the time, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's like right. Monks, they say, look, if you could see what, if you could see what reality actually is, 
you know, you'd realize how trivial most of this stuff is. Right. Well, so then to, to, to teach is to become right. Like Antos ontology to become, that's why the prayer, see, a prayer never made sense to me. Mm. Then it made sense within the tradition of the, the Orthodox church, which is, it's not for God. It's for you that you might become the expression of what you're learning, what you're, what you're, availed of in the liturgy you now are becoming that thing like an ember you're now sent out warm <laughs> and so you don't have to teach anything you have to be something but mm, i don't know if that is resonant with westerners but it was resonant with me well i think it, you know this is the thing about it. you have to you have to go out and seek it because again prayer when i was young i didn't understand what prayer was i, I just thought it was sort of asking god for stuff Right, right, and then then you do that, and then most of the time you don't get it. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute! Clearly, clearly, there's no God because this is rubbish. I asked him for, you know, I asked him for the lottery. It didn't happen, so it's all bull. <laughs> um, but again, it's like if 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 a church, um, and again, we're talking orthodoxy, but this could be true of any you know any traditional faith if you if you believe it's the truth. Um, if the if the space is there and the people are saying to you, look, here's how you do it. Here's the truth. So in orthodoxy, for example, I always think of Mount Athos. And I think as long as Mount Athos is there and those monks are there and they're wow. doing what they've been doing for a thousand years there, then we're okay because we can always go there and they can say, you know, That's amazing. Here's, here's what you need to do, guys. And, and, you know, the monasteries in orthodoxy, there are little Athoses everywhere, including our monastery here in Ireland. They probably wouldn't accept that description, but it is what they're doing, actually. To some, in some, for sure. Yeah, they're, holding for sure. That, they're holding that truth and they're not going to put a, uh, helter skelter in their church anytime soon so we, we're okay and so we can go and find it and it seems to me also just i don't know I, I can, talking about my experience i wouldn't have been ready to have this stuff told to me 20 years ago or even 10 years ago if someone had come and told me about orthodoxy i'd probably right. push it away i had to be ready almost i had to be desperate enough actually you know i had to had to have tried absolutely everything else and thought this still isn't it what right. is what am i missing here i had to get to the point where i, was, I would say okay well maybe Maybe it's this. Surely it can't be Christianity, but, you know, okay, I'll try it. Right. You know, you have to get to the point, and there are some people who get to that point when they're like 12 or, or 5, like the Buddha, and there are some people who are slow learners like me, and they take till they're nearly 50. But well, I accept it. I, path, yeah, well, I accept it. I think fundamentally I was in Africa. I've told this story before, uh, and you and I may have talked about it off camera, but it was the Muslims uh, of Mali that showed me this um, really love of obedience, or at least if not love, it, they were obedient to the rule, the prayer rules and the rules of Juma Friday. And just basically I saw people who seemed to change their lives according to their faith. And when I was in Anglo or Episcopalian, nothing really changed. I did whatever I wanted and sort of justified it through, through my experiences in the church. And so I just kind of reversed engineered what they were doing and i liked their obedience but i didn't fully understand it until i became orthodox and i had a spiritual father so i'll tell you a story i don't know if you want to hear this story but can i do a quick one basically it was like the second or third pasca uh it was great lent my wife and i were very thankful to be orthodox but whatever i didn't really get it that much and uh, my spiritual father, I was talking to him and he said, well, don't forget the fast during the fast, during the fast. And I was like, yeah, no meat, no dairy. And he was like, well, no, the fast in the Orthodox tradition is no meat, no dairy. And it's a marital fast. 
so you you and your wife should not be you know having conjugal love and and, and i'm like whoa 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 i'm married <laughs> hang on a minute yeah. <laughs> no no i i didn't sign up that's for monks and stuff he was like no it's not <laughs> he's like no that's for you during the fast and every wednesday and every friday and i was like hell i told my wife i was like wait a minute wait a minute she said well we should do that and i said well uh, so here's what happened she was pregnant with our, our third child and so all before that Pascha, she had been pregnant, so not a lot of loving going on then. Then after she's she's done, not a lot of loving for six weeks or whatever. And then guess what happened, Paul? The fast kicked in. Forty days. Yeah. Four, well, really, like fifty-two if you look <laughs> yeah, at it. Right. And so I went to him and I said, "Father, come on, like economy, hook me up, like <laughs> let me. I'm, I'm young." And he said, listen, you do whatever you want to do. He was like, don't worry, you do whatever you want to do. But I don't give blessing. Why I give blessing for this? I was like, because like I'm weak. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. So then I told my wife, she'd be like, nah, don't worry about it. No, she enforced the rules. And guess what happened? I understood what Pasca is on a very base level. Because on Pascha, I broke the fast in all its facets. And what I understood is the feast properly orchestrated after the fast. And I had never had that experience as a Christian. Mm. And so, yeah, my little animal self, my little dog self was able to see something bigger because I constrained the dog Mm. in me. And I'm telling you, that's what I meant. That's what I was seeing in Islam. But this through the Christian or through the Christ resurrected lens was just so powerful, man. So powerful. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I mean, for me, I'm coming from a kind of secular atheist, not religious at all background. So I haven't been one sort of Christian and become another. I've suddenly become the, the, the kind of the strict, the strictest kind of Christian. My mm-hmm. priest likes to say that the Orthodox are the special forces of Christianity. He enjoys, <laughs> he enjoys saying that because he, <laughs> he aspired to be in the army when he was younger. So he, he says this a lot, but it's, you know, mm. it's, it's quite a good comparison, actually. Um, and it's, it's absolutely true. And that's, that's the thing, right? When you get to the point where you get made to do something you don't want, that's really the big deal. Because I don't really have much of a problem being vegan for 40 days. I can kind of manage that. I, I like cheese. I miss the cheese, but I can live without cheese. I get used to it after a while. But as you say, when it comes to something like, you know, yeah, sex with your wife or something that's really fundamental to you or whatever it is to you that that you're being denied you see that and it kind of brings me back to this kind of western idea as well that the thing we really hate is obedience you know we hate it we we hate hate obedience we hate institutions we hate rules we hate hierarchies but you and i hate it let's be honest and there's a reason there's a reason that we we've rebelled against some of those things right it's not as if these things haven't been abused and horrific throughout history for sure for sure it's not as if you know hierarchy and rules are always great i mean there's a reason there's also a reason a lot of people want to come to the west you know and adopt western lifestyles because they think they can liberate themselves from some of the worst aspects of this stuff because we're human and so hierarchy and rules always get abused for powerful yeah the rest of it so so yeah of course there's an appeal so i'm a western individualist you know i'm a liberal guy in many ways grew up in a liberal culture so i don't really want to do that either um but i got to the point where i knew i had to and that i think Probably, again, this is part of the reason I went to orthodoxy is that I wanted something really serious. I wanted to have my life changed, right? Yeah. And I knew that if I became an Anglican or something, I wasn't really going to change anything. Just, <laughs> Look at your face. Your face but is like, like yeah. <laughs> I could go to church and then I could go on the Helter Skelter afterwards and it would be fine. And, you know, I actually wanted to be 
forced into a different shape because I knew I had to because this, I, I kind of felt like this is my last chance. I'm nearly 50, right? I don't do this now. Right, right. The shape is interesting. You know, America has an obesity just epidemic, which is really interesting that it manifests in obesity shape. And I'm not picking on anybody who's obese. I I'm myself battle with this all the time. The question though is, is well, that's not by chance. Mm. It's not by chance that our problem looks that way. I think shape That's an interesting concept. I think what shape are we taking? And yeah, what shape is the, is the culture taking? I mean, it's, it isn't possible to look around, say my country, Britain and go, well, this place is really functioning very well. You know, these, these, these are happy people. This is a content society. There's a great sense of meaning here. There really isn't, you know, and know. there's a ton of different reasons you could pinpoint for that. But, you know, it's not as if pursuing this, this so-called secular modern path, whatever it is, of technology and radical independence has actually worked. At a so what do you think happens? Does it burn? Well, that, it? It's got to burn. It's got to. Well, I think it's going to burn out. I mean, look, I don't know. This machine this, this word I like to use, which isn't my word, I stole it from better writers like D.H. Lawrence and R.S. Thomas and George Orwell and people who've been using this word for a long time because they can sense this kind of big technological monstrosity that's grown yeah. up around us and there isn't really a good definition for it in a way. Um, it's got to burn itself out because it's literally unsustainable in every way, right? I mean, it's the resources it's consuming, spiritual and cultural and ecological can't be sustained. You're not going to get Eight, mil, 8 billion people living like that. So it's you can already see it coming down. The climate's changing, for God's sake. I mean, what's, what's that? Of, if that's not a warning bell, I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. So it has to come down. We're not going to retreat from it. We can't really. Now we're all stuck in it. So there's, there's going to be a sort of messy, staggered collapse of some kind, which is yeah. probably happening. But I think, I think we're kind of already there. You know, we're kind of already there. And I think maybe... This search that people, and I'm, I'm sensing it over here as well, the search that some people anyway have got for a really serious faith tradition is, is a response to that. You know, and I think that there's, the only thing I would caution about that is, you know, you get a lot of this sort of so-called trad stuff going on, especially online, where a lot of what's happening is people want the outward forms of being kind of traditional and old-fashioned and not woke and not liberal, but they don't want to do the fasting, right? They don't want, they don't, they want the exoteric form, but not the esoteric form. And yes. If you do sort of cultural Christianity or being trad or LARPing orthodoxy or something without really wanting to do it properly, then it doesn't mean anything. Um, well, it becomes another form of power. It just becomes another way to get what you actually really want, which is some yeah, control just, over your life. It's politics as well. It's just, uh, this looks like a good way to fight the culture war. So I'll go and be orthodox. That is a danger. It's a danger. Yeah, no, it is a danger. And I think you can see that happening in some places. I think maybe especially in America, it's not happening here where I am, um, but it seems to be happening seems to be happening on the internet in places where I don't basically go to very much. Well, you're <laughs> smart. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't get involved at all in online Orthodox stuff. It's just, I don't want. Oh, good for you, man. I just because... want to go to church, you know, <laughs> I follow the path. I don't want to, I don't want to do this sort of nonsense, whatever it is. But it's a blessing because you, you, as a writer, you can do that. We're running this nonprofit. And so we, 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 by nature reach out, I got to raise money, you know, and, yeah, well, and, yeah. and, and we reach out. But I will say, I really want to avoid some of those um, those landmines that that you're talking about on both sides, uh, both sides of the equation, because yeah. some some woke person's going to get pissed at this. Like, let's just mm. be honest. And so, 
at some point, you, I like what you said. At some point, you're not going to make anybody happy if you try to make everybody happy. It's not happening. On the other hand, there is something about being attentive to the soul in front of you. Some I learned this as a teacher of, of high school kids, 17, 18 year olds. They want what you want because they're made in God's image. So you can just start with that premise. Okay, They want joy and happiness just like I do. The question is, which vocabulary or which diet can they handle? What what? It's your job as the teacher, or at least the position of authority, to figure out what diet they can eat. You are all moving toward the same rich, beautiful, bountiful feast. I get it. But not everybody can eat the same food, including me, man. I can't, I can't Sarah from the Sarah or, or, or Elder Ephraim. I can't eat that diet. food. I can't handle it, man. It breaks me. So where are we each in this journey? And I find if you are attentive to others in that way, you have a shot. But the danger is, is you then end up, you end up breaking yourself in order to try to figure out everybody else's sort of reality. In other words, you become an ecumenist. You become somebody who has no center, you know. That's the line to walk, isn't it? That's a really nice way of looking at it, though, isn't it? Not being able to eat the same food. Yeah, I like that because that's exactly right. We're all just, um, and also, like I said earlier, you know, you can eat different foods at different stages of your life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I might be able to eat different food in five years, and so might you. You know, yeah. I, well, my, my dairy days are over. Clearly, that's well, my wife. <laughs> probably be able to eat less and less in five years. You'll be subsisting on just seeds, like one of the greatest saints. You know, bread and water. I think bread that, and water, like an Anthony. Spiritual um, yeah. bread and water. That might yeah. be. A, that might be a good place. The end, maybe. Can we we got to keep talking though, don't you think? At some yeah, point. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying this. These are the these are the big questions, aren't they? You know, it's um. Uh, it, I suppose I, you know, where I'd end is by saying that one of the things I've loved about finding orthodoxy is that you answer the questions by walking the path, you know, and I'm, I'm a writer. So I like to intellectualize things and talk about them and come up with solutions in right. my head, which sometimes can be an excuse to avoid actually living it. Right. So yeah. actually in orthodoxy, you have to live it. And that's true of any faith tradition that's serious. You've got to live it. Um, and so that's, I always keep coming back to that. It's like mm, talking's easy. Well, maybe part of that, we, we'd be remiss. Ioannis and the Orthodox Arts Festival folks are putting together this radio station. I think that's a type of living, is creating creating outlets, right? Don't you? Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, and, and actually the, 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 the power of art and creativity within a tradition is so important, I think. And that's, to me, that's one of the things that can really speak to people uh, yeah. beyond, beyond the kind of debating thing that, it can be dry sometimes. It's like, look at this beauty, you know, look at this beauty, look at what this is pointing towards. It, that's, and it's, such, that's the most powerful thing. For sure. I mean, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not cliche to say mm, beauty no, will no. save the world. It's not cliche. It's just not. I, I love people who are like, oh, here we go again. But it's real. It's just the question is, is, you know, can we talk about it coherently, the, the mm. term beauty? And I, I think that's the subculture that you're a part of, whether you want to be or not, this sort of Jonathan Pajot subculture. And really, there's a lot of people involved. We always should try to talk about what the beauty is, mm-hmm. you know, without being demanding of others and, and, and you know, pedantic. But I think you can well, present it. You know, that's what I would aspire to do. I don't, I'm not doing it at all. But I think that's what the liturgy did for me and it's what the church did for me. I just went there and it presented itself to me. And yeah. I thought there's beauty here. There's also truth. There's also love. I mean, orthodoxy can look quite rigid from the outside, but it really isn't, you know, it's no, 
if it hasn't got love at the heart of it, then you're in some dangerous territory. But it had, my experience of it has always been that that's right at the center. And actually all of this stuff on, that might seem like it's on the outside, whether it's the incense or the icons, actually it directs you all the time to the, yeah. your, the, the loving heart that you haven't got properly. That's right. <laughs> You've got to break yourself right. open to find that. That's the center, the love and the beauty. You know, if you can keep circling around that every time you lose track of it, which I do regularly, then that's, that's a big deal. How's your family doing with uh, your orthodox insides, well, your changing yeah. insides? Yeah, very surprisingly well. My daughter, actually, who's 14, has just been baptized herself, actually. She's just oh, into oh. church. So um, I think that's really, yeah, that's been quite, we've been very, very proud of that. And like I say, my wife is not a Christian. She's a Sikh, but um, we, we talk a lot about, it's actually brought us closer together. Sure, enough. sure. We can, we can sit and talk about God from our different traditions, and we can find astonishing amount of common ground, actually. I mean, yeah. in Sikhism and Christianity, it's, it's quite frightening in some ways how similar the teachings are but as she says that would be the case if they were both pointing to the truth um right so you know these these conversations can actually it's like you said different food actually different food tastes and again i don't want to be an ecumenist and say hey everything's valid man but actually you know these there's there's truth in a lot of different places and, and just it has to be that way uh, of it, course it does yeah it, it, otherwise it gets it, it gets odd it, it's also you constrain God, you make God into something kind of a joke, jokey, right? Like yeah. he, 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 it's too big, but I just like the idea of fulfillment, right? There's variations on fulfillment, but there's an ultimate end. And I think, I think the church is something like the expression of Christ in the world, like Christ's body. So I, I just go with that. But the cool part is I don't have to convince it. I love what you said earlier. We don't really have to convince anybody of that. Yeah. It's kind the of a thing, dead end. The other thing that's interesting is just, um, sorry, I know you said we should stop, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's talk for another hour. But no, just I'll, I'll just say one last thing. Just reading about the early church, it's very interesting because the, the, the church for the first couple of hundred years, right, it's persecuted and it's kind of underground. And it's not sending any missionaries out. Uh, after St. Paul, there aren't really any missionaries, maybe until St. Patrick. Um, and it hasn't got any power, and the authorities are not spreading the word. They're persecuting the Christians who they think are just weirdos. And yet the thing keeps growing. So why does it keep growing? Well, one mm. of the reasons it seems to have kept growing is people were just living a certain way that was attractive. Mm. So Christians were like feeding the poor and helping their neighbors and dying with a smile on their face. And, and this kind of and people look at them and say, well, there some, must be something to that, because look at, what, look at how these people have been transformed. And that spreads the word. So rather than going out and making some argument, which is just depressing uh, or futile, that you just live a certain way. And if you, you know, you you probably had this, and, and, and you know, if you if you ever meet anybody really that you that you know is a wise person, right? And you think, oh, you know, this person's got something about them. I'm really going to pay attention to them. How have they got here? What's got them here? Whether they're a Christian or not, I always judge a religion actually on whether it has wise elders. Yeah. One of the one of the things that convinced me that something like Wicca or any of the neo pagan stuff was was false was that there are no wise elders in those movements. There's lots of slightly broken people, but there's no wise elders. Whereas you will find them obviously in orthodoxy, find them in Sikhism, you'll find them in Islam. You know, yeah. so there's something going on there that allows people to achieve that status. 
So if if you can if you can get to that point where I, you know we can look at those people and go well there's, there's something there's something about this you know I want this I would like to be a wise elder <laughs> that's my my aspiration one day maybe I can be a wise elder and this path clearly leads there so there must be truth in it yeah that's nice. that's the kind of that's a way of demonstrating it and that's it's you know you don't need to talk to you you can just be gosh that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm precisely in the opposite place to that. <laughs> I just talk all the time. But that's the challenge. You know, that's what I think. If, if I ever achieve any kind of level of wisdom at all, it will come with me shutting up at last. You know? Does that scare you that to be better at what you're aspiring to, it may take something from you, uh, your voice? Does that scare you? No, it you? doesn't really. It doesn't. I, I'd like it in a way. You know, I, I've done a lot of talking. I've done a lot of writing in my life, mm. and it's fine. It's how I work things out, and people find it useful, and they enjoy it, and I appreciate that, and it's amazing to have an audience, you know, and to be able to make a living off it. I never take that for granted. Um, but mm. at the same time, it feels like, you know, there's something else the Buddha said, which I really liked, about the Dharma, which is his teachings. He said, look, you could see this Dharma as, as a raft that gets you across the river, right? Once you get to the other side, you don't walk around with the raft on your shoulders. You just let it go. You walk off into the new land. You don't need the raft anymore. You don't need the Dharma anymore. And the same would be true. I've heard the same thing said about the liturgy in orthodoxy as well. You know, all of these things that we do with the icons, with the incense, with the liturgy, it's to get you to the place that we're taking you. That's right. You know, and it's like, it's not like you don't go anymore when you get there, but you don't need it in the same way. My spiritual father always said, you don't, you, John, you don't need to fast if you don't, sin so don't worry about it <laughs> i was no like question. oh okay <laughs> that's a good way of putting it yes it's the same right let it go if it's not a problem you, mm. you, you got where you had to go now you don't have to and i said oh okay i'll be fasting <laughs> <laughs> fasting forever yes oh <laughs> uh, this is great so all right we'll plan on another time in the future won't we? I think we got to meet up too uh, somehow. Yeah, I, don't yeah, know I would like that. That would, that would be great. Let's go yeah, ahead. come to our restaurant. And if I'm in Ireland, I'm trying to talk to some interesting people in London uh, who really like our work. I could use a board member overseas because we work overseas. So I'm always looking at that. But we'll see each other with Orthodox Arts Festival and the Heavenly Path. Uh, hopefully that that shakes out. And we'll talk about that yeah. more on our podcast yeah, as we go forward. Stuff. But reach out anytime, Paul. You're the best. I will man. do. It's really great to talk to you, John. Yeah, it's a joy. It's just a joy. Okay, brother. Um, I thank you, man. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Stay in touch. Thank you for your time, Paul. Yeah, thanks again. Cheers. Well, Shani's Gagi Marjos to you, Paul. Thanks for coming on. Andrew, that was pretty good. No? Andrew, like, thumbs up if that was good. What's a thumbs up sound? That was fun. Yeah. Gagi Marjos to you, Paul. That means to you, the victory. All of you out there, that means to you, the victory. That's set at a Georgian KP table. That's our pod for today. Thanks for coming along. Watar is produced by Andrew Schwark and Daniel Paternos. It's brought to you by First Things Foundation. Hey, you should go on right now. Take 250 pennies. Or is it 2,500 pennies? No, 250 pennies. And dedicate those pennies each month to First Things Foundation. We support impresarios around the world who have a beautiful vision for a better life. Right in their own backyard. That's right. First Things Foundation doing, quote, humanitarian work, but really doing work for humans primarily for ourselves so that we can become better people. 
First Things Foundation, support us. Go to www.first-things.org. This is Watar. Hasta luego. Nak vamdis. These are all ways of saying goodbye. Au revoir. Kambufo. That's Bambara. What else? Hasta luego. I got to get my quiche down, my Mayan language. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs>